May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. May I serve with honor in the role you've given me. And may I never go beyond my place as I serve my Savior and I give you praise. Help me follow the truth and I'll be saved. May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. Could you say that you have ever been perfectly united in mind and thought with someone? Now, that phrase, perfectly united in mind and thought, actually comes straight out of the Bible. So I hope that you'll take a few minutes together with me to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Now, not all of those, but quite a few verses from each of those chapters to see what Paul is talking about whenever he uses this phrase about being perfectly united in mind and thought. Let's begin together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, we read, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another with what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Okay, let, let's pause right here. Now, we've already looked a, a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many weeks ago, but a few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the uh, first few verses tell us that this passage is not only written to the church at Corinth, but it is also like directly written to us as well. So I think that that is just... Um, an important thing to keep in mind as we look at this. So this is an important passage for us to see about us as well. Now, Paul, whenever he starts speaking about the church being perfectly united in mind and thought, you know, he is talking about, you know, us all together collectively, you know, as a whole, that we can be united in this way. Well, I want you to think about this. Whenever you look at the phrase perfectly united in mind and thought, you know, that, that can see a little um, a little difficult, really, right? Because it's hard for us to do that with another person. Now, it's hard to even do that with people that, you know, we're maybe really good friends with, too. But yet, Paul is talking about this for the church. Well, let's kind of look at it this way. What divides us? What types of things divide us? Well, when you look at what divides us, you see that what was dividing them was they were kind of following different preachers even. You know, somebody was saying in verse 12 that, well, I follow Paul. Uh, was Paul a good guy? Yeah, he was a really good guy. In fact, a lot of the New Testament was written by Paul. So it makes sense that, you know, some people would be like, oh, well, you know, I, I follow Paul and I, I'm really, uh, you know, I, I listen to what he says and, and stuff like that. Similar to how, you know, maybe today, uh, people might follow a, a certain preacher. You know, let, let's face it, you probably have maybe a handful of preachers that you just kind of, you know, like to listen to and stuff. You probably wouldn't necessarily say, well, I follow, you know, preacher so-and-so. But here, they were saying such things like, well, I follow Paul. And then somebody else was like, well, I follow Apollos. Well, okay, so somebody else, you know, was talking about Cephas. Okay, 
there's nothing wrong with any of those people. In fact, I mean, nothing entirely wrong with any of those people, except they are just people. However, there's an interesting phrase that comes to us at the very end of chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, and that is that another person will still say, I follow Christ. Well, whenever you look at that, you might be thinking, okay, so, I mean, we should all follow Christ, right? That's what we would maybe expect to see. But that's not actually how he says it. And and one of the things that Paul points out is this type of division, you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. If you're dividing over this type of thing, what you need to be doing is you all need to be united. You don't need to have these different divisions that you have. Do we perhaps have those different divisions today? Yeah, we, we do see those. You know, it, it actually saddens me several times whenever I, I kind of look around and I think about all the people who they, they all claim to follow Christ, but yet they have their own group that they are a part of. And I guess you might say that, you know, I have my own group as well. But whenever we look at that, it still kind of saddens me. I don't always know how to go forward, except I know this passage is speaking about that. This passage is this call for us to be perfectly united in mind and thought, not to be divided. You know, Paul goes on, he goes, look, is Christ divided? That's what he says in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? I mean, he is Paul, and he's saying, you know, was I crucified for you? No. And I can say that. I wasn't crucified for you. Okay, Jesus was crucified for us. And you're not baptized in the name of some person. We are baptized in Christ. So here we can maybe think about some of these things that divides us. And a lot of times it's, you know, our own personal preferences or what we might, you know, want to follow or who we might want to follow. But now think about this. What unites us? What is it that can unite us all? And to that, we keep looking in the book of 1 Corinthians. Verses 13 through 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and, and Gaius, so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. Uh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you look, he's still talking about this as, is Christ divided? Of course the answer is, Christ is not divided. He shouldn't be. If we follow Christ, we should not be divided either, right? Then in the next verse, I, I kind of love it because the way I'm going to paraphrase it, if you if you will allow me to, that, you know, Paul starts kind of thinking and he starts writing. He goes, well, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that I, I didn't baptize, you know, uh, you all, well, except, okay, I did baptize this person and this person. And then he's like, oh yes, I also baptized th this other household. But, you know, beyond that, I don't even remember if I baptized somebody. So, you know, we kind of look at that and the way that he's saying it, he is not trying to make light of what baptism is all about. What he is most certainly saying is he's almost kind of like a little bit of, you know, ashamed. He doesn't want to contribute to this division and he's kind of ashamed of their behavior. And he's like, you know, look, I'm, I'm just glad that I didn't baptize you so that you get the wrong idea and stuff. And then we find out, well, of course, he did baptize some people. But his focus was that he wasn't trying to baptize them so that they would ever uh, think that they were baptized in the name of Paul. We are not baptized in the name of Paul. We're baptized in the name of Christ. What Christ 
uh, sent Paul to do was to proclaim this gospel. That's what he was called to do. And we see that this message of the cross, the content of this preaching in verse 18 that Paul is, is talking about here, this message of the cross, some people aren't going to get it. They're going to think it's foolishness. I mean, let's face it. If somebody were to come up to you and were to say that there was a person who lived 2,000 years ago and somehow that person affects your life right here and right now, you might be thinking, what do you mean? You know, how could the life of somebody who lived on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago affect you and have anything to do with you? We might start thinking that. But then when you see what actually it means through Jesus Christ and you find out, Oh, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, and, you know, he died also. It's kind of a confusing story. If you want to think about it, you know, just, just realize that it's a man who died on a cross, and people are probably pretty familiar with there's Jesus who died on a cross, but what does that have to do with us today? It has a lot to do with us today. But to many people, it just looks like foolishness. But to us who are being saved, that would be us who are Christians, we see the power of God in this because we realize Jesus was not just a man who just died and was, was put to death 2,000 years ago. He's a man who is also God and who lived 2,000 years ago to show us how to live, what it means to be human. And we are called to follow the way of Christ. And whenever he died, he didn't stay dead. And he promises to not only that he uh, raised from the dead, but he promises to raise us from the dead as well. When you look at verse 17, I know we're going to going a little bit out of order here, but when we back up to verse 17, he speaks about this preaching of the gospel. He says, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Is it possible for us to empty, to, to make the cross of Christ empty of its power? Well, Paul uses that, that phrase. And as we look at this, he does not want the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. How could it possibly be emptied of its power? To that, we'll turn to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul continues on here, and he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We see right here that one of the things that, that Paul begins talking about, and especially here in, in verse 4, he tells us about this message and the preaching, how he was preaching. Now see, he says that it was not with wise and persuasive words. Now there might be a time and a place for wise and persuasive words, but obviously it's not always. Now, we see that he does talk about with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now this is something that we always need to proclaim. And our preaching always has to be with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And what that looks like might look a little different from time to time. But we need to see the Spirit's power being demonstrated in, in the words, in our preaching, and in our teaching, and in our way of life as well. In verse 5, it says that so your faith might not rest on human wisdom. Well, well, who whose wisdom do we need to focus on? Let's keep reading. Verses 6 through 10 of 1 Corinthians 2. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not 
but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before uh, time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, uh, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the thing God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So now we find out this is the wisdom that we are called. You know, he does say in verse six, look, there is a message of wisdom, but it's really only found among the mature. It's the ones who realize, look, this isn't the wisdom of, of the age. It's not the, the wisdom of the rulers of this age. No, no, no. This is verse seven. It's God's wisdom. It is God's wisdom that we are called to proclaim. Now, it's going to be misunderstood by many. Even this passage speaks about how it's going to be misunderstood by many. They're just going to think it's foolish for one reason or another. I'm not even going to try to give too, many, uh, of a, too much of a list of those things because they change from time to time. But some people are going to find the foolishness of this message. But this truly is God's wisdom. God thought up this plan, and he ensured that this plan would go successful from since before the creation of the world, before time began, verse 7, it also states for us. It has been still misunderstood by many people, but it's not misunderstood by us. Why is it not misunderstood by us? Why do we get it? Is it something special about you or me, you know, that we who follow Christ, is it something special about us? Well, it's nothing just in and of ourselves except when you look at verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. This is the why. It's not so much something that you've done or something that I've done, but it's what God has done. And God has chosen to reveal these things by his spirit to all who would follow him, to all who would listen to him. Verse 10, we even stopped in the middle of the verse, so now we're going to pick back up and continue on through the end of this chapter. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 16, we read, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to, mere, to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This passage right here tells us about these things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. This is the spirit who is from God. The spirit that has been freely given to us. Revealed to us. So that we can come to the spirit and can learn these things. Also, I love this phrase in verse 13, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. This is what the Spirit has always been involved in since the beginning of, of creation. You know, the Spirit is found on the very first page of the Bible, and He's found on the very last page of the Bible, and hint, everywhere else in between. The Spirit has always been teaching, has always been guiding the people who were faithful of God. 
And now in the New Testament times, I love how we see this just explosion of the Spirit. So much of this concentration, and we see that the Spirit is constantly teaching people, and the Spirit is teaching us, revealing these things to us about Christ and about following the way of Christ. So ultimately, we see at the very end, we have the mind of Christ. I love kind of looking at the different passages that speak about the mind of Christ. You know, one of my favorite passages comes from Philippians chapter 2, and it speaks about the mind of Christ, and it kind of goes into great detail explaining the, the mind of Christ, and we are called to have this mind of Christ. And this this passage, the way that, that uh, Paul is writing here um, in, in Philippians, he's kind of writing and encouraging us to have the same mindset that Christ had. But here, he's already telling us, look, we have the mind of Christ. This is what God has done for us. He has given us the mind of Christ. This right here, having the mind of Christ among us, this is the only way to be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the call of the church. It's something you can't do on your own. It's something I can't do on my own. We can only do it by being guided by the Spirit so that we can receive the mind of Christ so that we, as the church, can truly be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I know that we don't always see it right here and right now being this, this type of perfectly united mind and thought. But perhaps we can start going, working together to get there. What can you do to help? What can we all do to help? Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. The Lord has made known by His church the wisdom of God. He has made known by the church to all of the worldly powers. He has made known by the church the purpose He's worked through His Son. He has made known through the Spirit His plan from before the ages And through the church all men shall know the wisdom of God Manifold 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 wisdom of God